forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I love to laugh. Hey, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, wink, and I'm thirsty as fuck, I guess. Okay, also, <laughs> can I just say okay, yeah. that so many people have talked about how my voice sounds so different from, like, the credits now, even. On yeah. the Discord, they'd be saying that. Yeah, we gotta update those credits. Yeah, isn't that funny? We're gonna have to update them, like, every two months <laughs> for a while, I think. How long until, like, your voice will settle? I don't know. I really don't know. It's going to keep going probably for another year or so, I think. Oh, wow. I hope. Well, I just was looking back at the moment where you were sending notes and you said, I screenshotted it for my own joy, where you sent notes and said, this voice is weird. Who is this? And then Melissa was like, it's Gabe. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I just want to look at that screenshot and just revel in it when I feel sad. (laughs) Because it was from before. Yeah, and I didn't even recognize and you. Your didn't old even voice. recognize yeah. my old voice. That's it was so. so it felt really good. <laughs> <laughs> your wedding is so close. Oh my god, my wedding is so soon. But honestly, I don't even think about my wedding. I think about finishing grad school. <laughs> really? I have three more weeks of grad school, and oh man, that I'm almost gonna drop out. I called my don't mom drop last out. week, and I was like, I'm gonna drop out. You and can't. She was like, Allison, I'll never speak to you. Again. Yeah, you can't drop out with three weeks left. Come on. But it's so much work in these next three weeks and I don't want to do it. But okay, but think about in four weeks, you'll be like, I did it. I know. I know. I'm having to power through, but it's like such a brutal class. It's scientific writing and I have to write another literature review and it's and then I have to give an oral presentation. And because it's the summer, everything is truncated. So I go twice a week. It's too much. What's your oral presentation? Well, it's about my literature review. They make you just read that out loud to people? No, I have to create a whole separate presentation sharing my findings on my literature review. Like nobody wants that. Who wants that? Thank you. Who's going to sit through those presentations we and be have like, to. Yeah, but who's going to be like, wow, thank God for this? I've hated presentations throughout the entire program because it's like, I want to learn from the teacher. I don't right. want to like learn from these random students who like the level of effort put in varies widely and the, right? the their ability to relay relay information also varies it's literally like the the teachers like doesn't want to do the work so they just come in and they're like today we're gonna watch shrek 2 yeah but like i've had so many classes like that where like the majority of the class is just people giving presentations oh god and it's so funny it must be funny as someone who like regularly talks out loud and presents to then have people who do not do that at all ever yeah and it's also interesting i think like that I write for a living. Yeah. And so like I had like a short assignment that was like literally like two or three paragraphs and the feedback was like, wow, you're a great writer. And I was like, what? And <laughs> I think it must just be like the, compared to like, yeah, you know, well, I think I forget, writing, yeah. I forget that like writing is such a skill set and something that I've had to get better at versus like something that comes naturally. Yeah. No, I think I was a really good writer in like the second grade and I've progressively gotten worse. <laughs> <laughs> I was killing it in grade two. Oh, man. I was winning awards. I was doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, now now you just do it for a living. I know. Boring. <laughs> Where Somebody, where's my second grade novel about soccer camp? A thing I'd never experienced. I was going to say, you never went to soccer no, camp. No, absolutely never went to soccer camp. 
And uh, again, I think I've talked about this. It was about a girl and she goes, she wins a trip, a raffle at her school to go to a soccer camp in Washington, D.C. Why did I pick Washington, D.C.? I don't know. One of the only cities I knew about. And then she goes there and she makes a bunch of friends. And that's the whole novel. That's nice. Yeah. Actually, it's really beautiful. My eldest niece, my eldest niece, my my older niece. What, yeah, what's the like, eldest what's niece. What's a colloquial way to say it? The okay. eldest niece. Eldest niece has started writing little stories <gasps> and then she reads them to me and she read one to me and then she was like, give me real feedback. Don't just say it's good. I love that. And I was like, wow. Because if she becomes a writer, like I'm going to be so important to her. Yes. Okay. Like that's it's my... a way to like become an important, influential person. In that's life. my relationship <laughs> with my Aunt Michelle. That's my whole relationship with her is that she's a writer. Yeah. And so we became like bestie besties. Yeah. And then sad for my parents, maybe every time we had career day at school, I would make her come and do <laughs> career day and neither of my parents. But she's if she like we've are always had such a bond because she's a writer. So that's so true. So I don't want to like force her to be anything, but I'm going to really encourage. Yes. The, my um my book is dedicated to Michelle. Oh, yeah. And uh, and also like in the, I always acknowledge her in the credits and stuff. Yeah. A former guest of this podcast, Michelle, mm-hmm. my aunt, Michelle Dunn Baker. So go listen to that episode. And what is this podcast? This is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. We've got a really interesting show for everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to be talking to filmmaker Louis Schwartzberg all about fantastic fungi and a bunch of other stuff. I'm excited. It's a spicy interview. And later, we're going to be talking about my favorite topic, unidentified flying objects. Allison's listening to an Aliens podcast. Oh, I listen to it Can all, I just baby. read you? Allison texted me. What did you text me? There's so much we don't know about. So much is happening and humanity doesn't even know about it. No, I said that humanity can't accept what's Can't happening. Humanity can't accept it. And then we'll I, get into that. Okay, I said, are you high? And you said that is unrelated. <laughs> it's true. It was unrelated. Okay. <laughs> but first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Cali, the big old city. Is that what it says? Yeah. Kitty in the big old city. Oh, my God. I was like, what is the big old city? Okay, here's the thing. Um, we're doing we're doing merch, by the way. So if you go to justbetweenuspod.com, you can get our merch, which you should absolutely get. My boyfriend, who's doing merch for us, said that we need to make a list of all the JBU inside jokes. Oh. So if you are a fan and you want to make a huge list of JBU inside jokes and send it to me on Instagram or something, then I will be eternally grateful because you forgot Kitty in the Big Old Kitty City. The I said to him, city. we missed out on Kitty in the Big Old City merch. Yeah. So please send us any of our inside jokes that I've forgotten because maybe we should do merch with them. And I should really write that full book. We have the cover. <laughs> okay, so Callie writes, and I think this is so, so sweet. Hi, Allison, Gabe, Melissa, Phantom, Sugar, John, and Alex. And Alex? <laughs> yeah. Wow, Beans didn't even get a mention. I know, but it's, I'm very, I'm so pleased that Phantom and Sugar did. <laughs> oh my God, and they spelled Alex's name right. Yep, and That's Melissa's so name, sweet. all of our names right. That's really sweet. Wow, Beans, Beans is nowhere. Beans <laughs> in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> okay, Callie writes, I'm a longtime listener and one-time writer in, so hope this question resonates. I know Allison has spoken about her experience with turbulent friendships before, and I'd love to expand the conversation. 
I wish the same attention people give to romantic breakups was applied to friendship breakups. Oh, man. Do we agree? So people would be more prepared to deal with them, especially in adult life. Mm -hmm. Question. How do I get closure from a toxic friendship that ended non-consensually? Oof. I've heard advice related to friendships that end in big blowouts mutually or caused by a single event. For me, there wasn't a single reason why we stopped talking, but a series of behaviors and lack of communication. Mm. In the words of my current friends, we had a really deep bond and it ended in the most drawn out and confusing way after being gaslit for months. Mm -hmm. Basically, my best friend got into a relationship and ghosted me over the course of a few months. I've had to deal with my lingering mix of emotions alone and determine it a breakup by myself. I don't see them in person anymore, but may in the future, which brings me anxiety. I've cried often and given myself room to grieve our great memories and my deep love for her. Although I'm doing a bit better, the thought of seeing her makes me anxious and I often lay awake thinking of texts I would send to her. To prep emotionally, I think about sending a text to break the ice, basically like, what you did hurt me. I've moved on, but I wish you well. My other friends said it would make things worse. My goal would be to make her realize that her actions have consequences, but they said it would lead to deep hurt if she ignores it or explains her side of the story. Since she withdrew from our friendship without communicating, the silence feels unbearable. Mm. I think I have a right to say my piece whether or not it makes things better or worse. What do you guys think? I know this is a long run, so if you read any part of this or the whole thing, it's truly appreciated. Also, I love Reddit or not. Thank you for working hard to create so much weekly content. Love you all and wish you the best. From Callie, the big old city. Aww. My instinct is to just not, to not send it. But like, how do you deal with the closure of it? Right. I mean, you give yourself closure. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, it's interesting. I think about um, one of my ex best friends more than I think about any of my. I know me too. I think about one of my ex best friends. Uh, oh, so much. <laughs> it's really wild. And we're in the same industry. So I've had to run into her a couple times. And it's always like a fake like, oh, my God. Hey. Oh, Yeah. And then it's like, anyway, and we move on, except one time I, we like, it was like a group and it was like, let's all get drinks. And then we were like at drinks and I was like, ah, what did you do? I just like went, I was just there and we just pretended to be friendly. Yeah. I don't know. It was like, mostly I wanted to talk to the other people. So I went, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's now like a weird fake, which I guess is better than cold shoulder, like cold shoulder. But it's like, yeah, I think about it all the time. Yeah, I think something that's like really helped me and I've like written about this on on my sub stack before, I believe like that I don't have to get rid of all the memories. Oh, OK. Like, I more. think that I used to have this idea that like if if something ended badly, then like I couldn't enjoy the memories that we had together or I had to completely rewrite the narrative. But the reality is, is like, you know, this person and I were like best friends for years. Mm-hmm. They were like a huge part of my 20s. They brought me like so much love and joy mm-hmm. and like. We ha- I have a lot of fun memories with them and like I don't need to not allow myself to think about it mm-hmm. or only feel pain when I think about it. And instead just like be like that, you know, I'm 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 glad that younger me had that person when I had him. Mm-hmm. But now I'm able to exist with other friendships and other dynamics and things. Would you ever like reach out? No. OK. Well, I would never reach out because I'm not the one that ended the friendship. Sure. So it doesn't feel it feels like it would be um, an invasion of like his boundaries and privacy. And I think the thing that like I feel the most sadness over. And again, this is all just like me guessing because I don't actually know why he ended the friendship. But like 
the parts of myself that I think I think maybe caused issues, I don't feel are parts of myself anymore. Yes, totally. And so there's like this feeling of like, oh, but if he only knew me now. Totally. And so there's sadness in that. But there's also, you know, like you can't force someone to want to stay in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny to think of this person as a friend because we did date, but like not the same person, a different person. I was going to say, I'm, I'm losing track no, of what no, I no. you were talking about. Well, I, don't, I mean, I could say who it is. Like Eli was like, we dated, but right. also was like so such a good friend and like meant to be a friend in some ways, I think. And I like recently was like, hey, like because I started being friends with another friend of his and I felt weird about it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, hey, I just wanted to like reach out, let you know that I'm hanging out with Paul and like not in in a friendship way. And I was like, I if you're open to being friends, like that would be whatever. And he was like, no, I'm you can hang out with Paul. Totally fine. And also like I I'm not I wish you well and everything, but I don't want to be friends. And I was like, damn. Yeah. But like you can't it's like been like, you know, great to be like everybody wishes each other well, but it is sad. Right. I'm like, that would have been such a great friend like we're I wish we had met now to just be friends right and I think you know there's something to be said about like asking yourself like what did I really like about this friendship right. and then sort of like looking for that in other people and that's what I've done yeah of like you know like um like honestly I think that John is very similar to my ex-best friend in a lot of ways and I'm like oh that's, of course that's why I like gravitated yeah. towards John and always like felt so comfortable around him mm-hmm. yeah but I mean I think that like the thing about losing a good friend is like it's grief, right? It's a death of yes. something that you cared about and you carry it with you. Um, and I like I think we've said this before, like with what Nora McInerney says about like, you know, you don't like move on. You mm-hmm. just like move forward mm-hmm. in a way like you just keep going, but it doesn't get rid of the pain. Mm-hmm. And I guess like a big thing for me, having had so many relationships at this point in my life that have ended without clarity or closure right. from my best friend to my broke kid engagement is like, I, I just really take a radical acceptance route where it's mm-hmm. like, what do I do now that the relationship is over? Like, how do I move forward from here mm-hmm. instead of like, how do I go back and figure it out and, and fix, it. fix it or and like, like, you're never going to get the answer that you want or an answer. Like you could say your piece is such an interesting thing to me because it's you're not going to change anything. I don't think like there's so much that I could do to say my piece to this to this girl that we stopped being friends. But it's like in the end, what am I going to get from that? And I also think that that proves it's still a focus on them instead of your own healing. Right. Like I think a thing that's really important to me is like I I can't care what these people think about me. I can't Mm -hmm. care about their version of events. I mean, I can care in the extent of like, what do I need to learn? How do I not keep making the same interpersonal mistakes? But like, you know, their experience of what happened is always going to be their experience versus my experience. And so I need to focus on me. I need to attend to me Mm -hmm. instead of feeling like we need to have some mutual agreement on what happened, because I don't think that's even possible. You can't. You can't can't have a mutual agreement. Although I will say in the situation with the first friend, I don't think I did anything wrong. But um, but that's the kind of thing, right? Because it's like, okay, well, what led to the actual blowout? Yeah, like, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. But then you're like, okay, but did I, but was something happening in our dynamic that mm-hmm. got them to a place where they felt like they could portray me in that way? Yeah. Or that they got to, I mean, that's the thing I think about a lot with our falling out was like the actual falling out, like no offense, I didn't really do anything. But I think what like led you to do the things you did was because of things I had done. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, there was a lot of buildup, like, on both sides of different things. And also just a lack of communication, I think. Like, I think I learned that you can ask the person. Like, you don't have to be like, oh, and then they did this, and then I have it in my head that they did. You know what I mean? Like, that you can just be like, you can just ask. You don't have to... I think a lot of things end without clarity because it, people feel awkward about confrontation, even though it's not even confrontation. It's just like talking about what's going on. Yeah. And I think people also change as you know them. So like the person that you maybe knew would didn't have the capacity to treat you in the way that they ended up treating you. But over the course of time, they became a type of person who has the capacity to do that. And so that yeah. can feel really shocking because you're like that's not the person I know but it's like well actually this and this has happened this has happened pandemics happened this has happened and it's like oh that people are different people react in different ways than they maybe would have at a different time well I think it's a gift that we were forced to keep working together because then we had to grow in front of each other and we had to like then get to a, a like we had to make up and then in making up we had to be like how can I be different? How can I like <laughs> change? How can I like be approach things in a better way or whatever? Like it's some sort of arranged marriage where we were like, you got to fucking figure it out. <laughs> and then it like made everybody better, I think. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I, it's impossible to say if this person will come back into your life, if you'll want them back into your life. Oh, I don't think Callie in the big old city is doing a podcast with her friend <laughs> that she's forced to keep doing. But like, yeah, I, it's not like hoping that this person goes back into your life if you're gonna text them text them with the idea of if you want to work it out and if you don't or you don't think you can then like saying your piece to get the last word in is not really for anything right I think that's a great point there's no point in reaching out unless you're hoping to resolve something right exactly or I not even resolve but like maintain I think right, there's no right. point in reaching out unless there's a goal to maintain the friendship right and at this point it seems like there's not so then it's like how do I just sit with the discomfort how do I just sit with the grief mm -hmm. and how do I like live in a world where people I really love can hurt me and yeah. I think that that's like hard and so then the instinct is like well I need to one-up this situation mm -hmm. or I need I need the ending of this story to be a different takeaway than mm -hmm. like sometimes the people we love hurt us <laughs> Yeah. And they're not and you're never going to force someone to have your same narrative. Mm -hmm. I mean, my like relationship ending now, it's like the things that I like will send, you know, anytime I feel that I should send something and then I'm like, surely the response will be X, Y and Z. And it's never what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. It's never it's it's never what you're hoping for it to be. <laughs> I know. And it's kind of it's self-protective to give yourself closure, because if you keep searching for it in the other person. You're just giving them more and more opportunity to hurt you and disappoint you. That's what this Callie's friends are saying. Yeah. So I agree with that. Well, hopefully that was helpful. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Also, justbetweenuspod.com is where you can get our merch. And stick around after the break. We'll be talking to Louis Schwartzberg all about fungi. Just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Louis Schwartzberg, a renowned filmmaker and director of the award-winning documentary Fantastic Fungi, which is featured on Netflix and rated 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Louis has spent his notable career providing breathtaking imagery using time-lapse, high-speed, and macro cinematography techniques. And he also has a new film called Gratitude Revealed. Hello. Great to be with you. Yeah, uh, welcome to the you. show. I'd love to just uh, dive into what is fungi? Because <laughs> I think there's like, <laughs> it is like way more of an expansive term than maybe we think it is. Yeah. Well, it is expansive. It's the largest organism on the planet, number one. You know, there's one in Oregon, it's a couple hundred, I think, uh, square, you know, acres. There's also the fact that there's more species in the fungi kingdom or queendom than there is in plants and animals. And it's pretty shocking that we don't know anything about it. So one of the cool things about I think about fantastic fungi is we kind of opened up the conversation, go, hey, it's not a plant, it's not an animal, maybe something in between. But like, what are these guys? I mean, maybe they're the beginning of life. So we could talk about that. Okay, why did you say queendom? I want to be uh, politically correct. Oh, got it. I was like, are all mushrooms women? This is crazy. <laughs> uh, so I didn't want to say they're <laughs> king and queen. There's got to be, what's another word that you could supply instead of kingdom or queendom? Monarchy. Woof. Uh, mushroom monarchy. Right, okay. Um, so, okay. So explain, what do you, what do you mean by there's more species than anything else? Well, we've only identified about 10%. And so there is more different species, life forms, combos of DNA in the fungi kingdom than there is in plants or wow. animals. So they're everywhere. I mean, on every continent, inside your body, they're under your feet. Um, I think 20 or 30% of your body is made up of fungi and bacteria. And so what? there's a whole microverse that, you know, is out there that we're not really aware of. And they are the connective tissue of life because, you know, they, they, they connect plants and trees to talk to each other. They create ecosystems that based on a shared economy where nutrients and, and information is shared so that ecosystems can flourish without greed. What a beautiful model for life. They are the internet of, of life. And another way of looking at it as well is that instead of like, you know, you think of fungi, you know, decomposition, things falling apart, but that could also be the beginning of life. You know, you need the basic core elements for a plant to absorb nutrients and to grow and to give us fruits, nuts, and vegetables, and which enables animals to live. And so it really is the thing that kickstarts the whole cycle of life. Can you kind of explain how the technology you used sort of allowed us to understand this life form better? Yeah, I definitely love making films that kind of showcase making the invisible visible and, and showing things that are too slow, too fast, too small for the human eye to see. And so rather than, you know, talking about the, the fact that these other worlds, other realities based on the point of view of a hummingbird or the point of view of a redwood tree, I can actually show it. And I think that helps people really open their perspective or broaden their horizon and really get into like, what is, you know, mushroom and what is fungi and what is the mycelial network when you see it from their point of view, just like you would in any culture, you know, you don't go to a country and judge the people and their, their food and their music as an outsider you'd want to be part of it and look at it from the inside out to understand it, right? So I think Fantastic Fungi takes you on a journey where you're really with the mycelial network, you're with the mushrooms, you're with the fungi. Time-lapse shows that they move, 
like we move. They dance. They're elegant. They're beautiful. They're seductive. Um, they're there to turn you on, you know, because it's the fruiting body of the organism. Organism is the mycelium. They're like the apple to the tree. I know it's kind of hard for a lot of people to understand it, but that's basically the simple explanation because when they need to reproduce, they put out a mushroom and the mushroom has spores, catches in the wind. They need to diversify and find another place to grow. But it's the mycelium underground that is this incredible vast network that we're just beginning to understand. It's critical for climate change, for example. You know, 70% of the carbon in photosynthesis that is captured by plants and trees travels down the trunk of a tree into the roots and is sequestered underground because carbon is a building block for life. It's the greatest natural solution for climate change. So we have to be careful as I go on a little bit of an environmental rant with you. No, like, please don't do. Use, well, don't use pesticides, you know, no-till farming, regenerative agriculture. You know, don't destroy this mycelial network that is the foundation of life under our feet. The soil is a living organism, you know? And I think with time-lapse and slow-mo and, and even psychedelics, you begin to understand that it's alive. And when you kind of approach a project like this, I mean, what is your background? Like, do you have a science background or was this like your opportunity to sort of dig into this world where you you know, leaning on experts, like how mm -hmm. much did you know going in versus how much did you discover during the process of filming? I think both. I mean, I definitely rely on scientific advisors to understand the science of it. And I think it's great because people really like knowing that there's some kind of efficacy in, in what you're showing. And I try to you know, obviously blend that with a little bit of wonder and awe, which is why I make the documentary. I don't want to have all the answers. I want to be on that journey of discovery with you, the audience. Mm -hmm. I want to be learning along the way. If I have it all figured out and I know everything, then it's kind of, it'd be a boring task, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> it's like, if you're going to write a book. Oh, here's it's totally in my head or whatever. And then now you have to type it out. That'd be a, it'd be a chore. So I want to learn along the way. And there are a lot of things I did learn about fungi that, you know, I didn't know like it was like the greatest natural solution for climate change that, you know, lion's mane, for example, can eliminate, you know, amyloid plaque in the brain, which is useful for Alzheimer's and how it can create neurogenesis, growing new, new brain cells, you know, wow. which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. So I want to learn about it. And actually that kind of stuff keeps on popping all the time. You know, I have a Google alert on it and there's always new scientific discoveries that are emerging constantly because again, we only have identified 10, 20% of the, of the species in the fungi world to date. Why fungi though? Like, why did you pick that? Okay. That's a good one. Cause I'm a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> but truly why? Like, why did you just like fixate on that? Okay. Because a synopsis would be when I graduated from UCLA, I, I wanted to shoot high quality 35 millimeter movie film. I couldn't afford to buy it. It was a hundred bucks a minute for developing processing. Also couldn't afford to buy a movie camera. I retrofitted old cameras and I started to do time-lapse. And time-lapse meant you only shoot one frame every minute or 10 minutes. So I started shooting flowers. And I've, I've been doing that nonstop for almost four decades, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
so to answer your question, because I had all these flowers and I squeezed 40 years to about 20 hours of film by shooting nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that'll kind of blow your mind, right? Wow. But then when I heard about colony, about the bees disappearing and colony collapse disorder, then I decided, you know, I needed to tell that story. So I made Wings of Life. You can see it on Disney Plus. It's a Disney nature film. It's got Meryl Streep seducing bees, bats, hummingbirds, and butterflies <laughs> to come get her because that's what she needs to do to reproduce. You know, the, the bees land on her, they get nectar, and they get pollen stuck to their fur, and they move from one plant to another because guess what? You know, plants can't move. Right. Um, they need help. So uh, they don't have legs. <laughs> right. And, and diversity is key to evolution. So what a beautiful relationship. I call it a love story that feeds the earth. And so I thought that that intersection, right, pollination, is the key to the foundation of life on earth. But guess what? There's something even more basic below that, which is what do plants need? They need soil. And where does mm -hmm. soil come from? You know, and then there you are with fungi, you know, because wow. without fungi, there would be no soil. And, 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 and in the movie, we have the stone ape theory where I don't know, but possible theories are that, you know, sports can live in outer space, maybe came out on an asteroid. The DNA, our DNA is more similar to fungi than it is to plants. We actually evolved from fungi. So there were plants and fungi and branching off of fungi are animals. That's why penicillin, for example, is so effective in fighting viruses that are in your body because the same viruses they fight are the ones that we are also susceptible to as well. That's why they're really healthy for you when you eat mushrooms. They're good for your immunity because they are genius at chemical warfare. You know, they know how to secrete enzymes when they meet things underground. Am I, am I going to eat you or am I going to partner with you? You know, I was wondering, like, how learning more about fungi has shaped how you think about life, right? Because I think we often think about life as like, well, if you have like a clear brain, then you're an animal. Right. If you're a plant, then you're alive, but not really. Like, how has it sort of like, has your conception of what it means to be alive kind of changed? No, I think it really reinforced, you know, the feeling I had that everything is connected. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a hippie, you know, new age thing to say it's all connected. And guess what? I'm showing you scientific evidence and visual confirmation that it is all connected. And when you know that it's all connected, it engenders gratitude for the miracle of life. You know, you can kind of relax. It answers a big question, like what happens when you die? You know, if it's all connected and, you know, um, there's a certain comfort in that, right? You're talking about when you die, you go back to the earth? Yeah, go back to the earth, you, the molecules kind of break down and you kind of get reassembled into something else. I mean, every molecule in your body right now has been here since the time of, you know, Aristotle, you know? Um, so we're all just kind of recycling atomic matter and molecules in different configurations. The fungi break them down. Like, you know, if you get buried, you'd be broken down and the molecules would be reconstituted, come back as a tree, maybe come back as something else. I don't know, but it doesn't scare me. But what about like your thoughts? Like your thoughts go away. That doesn't scare you. <laughs> no, because when you say that it's all connected, then you realize it's all one giant consciousness. And it isn't just you as an ego inside that little head of yours. 
you know, beaming out to the world. You're just more of an antenna receiving consciousness from everywhere. What do you think about that, Allison? That might be an agree to disagree moment for me, but... (laughs) I'm so with you. That freaks me out so much. (laughs) No, I'm so with you. I love that. I was like, just the whole time you were talking, I was like, Louis got to meet my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What has been like the response? You know, I feel like mushrooms are becoming more and more of, of the zeitgeist. Do you feel like there will be a shift in like how we incorporate them into our lives? Absolutely. Yeah, because it's about partnerships and symbiotic relationships. You know, in fact, I think the whole story of nature kind of got hijacked in a real kind of macho way with most traditional natural history programs are generally about predator versus prey, survival of the fittest. The Darwinian story is a bullshit story because of the fact that you know he was a really a botanist. 90% of what he wrote was about symbiosis with plants. But it got hijacked in the 30s by Republicans like Teddy Roosevelt to justify imperialism, you know? For survival of the fittest, you mean? Yeah, survival of the fittest. That there were more dominant, smarter species, people, races, you know? Mm-hmm. And that is, is one kind of sliver of looking at nature, you know, the whole idea of survival of the fittest. But the big story of nature is about the billions of interactions that are happening in this one second. With, with pollinators and with the microbes and with the fungi that are, you know, this constant inter-symbiotic relationship that is a network of life. That's the real story of nature, not at the tip of the food chain at the top, like the lion chasing the deer. Because think about it this way, instead of it being my opinion, what's more important? If you lost the lion and the tiger, which would be sad, that has a, you know, an effect at the top of the food chain. But if you lose the foundation of life, if you lose the bees, if you lose the microbes and the fungi that make soil, there'd be no life on this yeah. planet. So it's, it's a matter of magnitude right there. What is, what is more important in terms of how you look at life? I love the idea of the symbiosis being more important than survival of the fittest. I yeah. think, yeah, we don't. I think that also, you're right, dovetails with climate change a lot and like yeah. the way that we view the world and our place in it and like, You know, it even like comes back to you're talking about imperialism, right? Dominating the land versus because we feel that we are owed it or we are smarter or we are whatever versus like appreciating the plants, trees, whatever was already there. I think that's like a very interesting way of looking at it. Sort of an anti-colonialist. And it's the the little guys that make the world go round, you know, it's what's (laughs) invisible. You know, it's like that's where you get appreciation and gratitude. You know, like even in life, it's like, you know, the healthcare workers during COVID, you know, it's the little guys mm-hmm. that make shit work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it goes along, I think, in that way as well, you know, having gratitude for a lot of stuff that's invisible, a lot of acts of kindness that isn't, you know, noted. You don't have to be a celebrity, you know, to be acknowledged. Right. I do wonder, like, as more information is coming out about, you know, what fungi can do, if it allows an opportunity for people to make a lot of money off of big promises that don't deliver. Like, I think we're seeing a lot of like mushroom tea and mushroom supplements. And this will make that your memory is 100 percent stronger than before. I mean, how do you feel about you seeing this science being put into like the supplement wellness market? Oof. Well, look, I, I think that 
those products are, are really good for you. And I think that uh, you see a proliferation of it because, you know, you guys are young. And if you want to, you know, to have a startup little business, you can you know, do that with, with mushrooms, you know, whether it's supplements and chocolates and teas and coffees and whatever it is. It's a fun thing to do. It's a cottage industry. And we're all beginning to become more conscious of nutrition and adaptogenic foods. I mean, I want to eat. Why not eat a candy bar that's got all these kind of cool, you know, ingredients in it, whether it's mushrooms and herbal ingredients. When I was growing up, it was just 100% sugar, you know, <laughs> and there was no warning about it. And, you know, you get cavities and you get sick and you get diabetes. I mean, we're yeah, still but it's interesting because I feel like every time something starts out so pure like that, it becomes like immediately super capitalistic and super like now we're going to go and and cut down all the mushrooms and make our thing that's like so expensive. You know what I mean? Like it's almost like the things that were invisible, then they become visible. And then it's like, we've made a huge mistake. Well, you didn't make a mistake. It's like, you know, something that becomes fringe becomes mainstream. Right. You know, there was only like one health food store when I was in college and it wasn't a health food store. It was a store that sold pills, you know, <laughs> no such thing as organic food. And this is in LA. And so now you got Whole Foods and guess what? Whole Foods is bought by Amazon. Right. It doesn't get much bigger than that. It just happens, you know? Yeah. And look, and, and here's another good example. Um, Woodstock. I kind of feel like we're going through the same period where, you know, the psychedelic renaissance, people are coming out of the closet about, mm -hmm. you know, their experiences with, with psychedelics. There's more research that's being done. It's becoming, you know, a common part of the conversation. There's a whole decriminalized movement, which means it's political as well. Right. Correct? All of a sudden. Well, yeah, you have to get votes and you actually and you end up generating more votes than the mayor gets. That's pretty significant. So it does represent that there's a movement and a shift in awareness and consciousness. I totally think it's great. And I'm glad yeah. that a lot, of, a lot of people, you know, do credit Fantastic Fungi as being a catalyst because the timing was perfect. Like I started that film 15 years ago wow. and I struggled, you know, with trying to raise money and lots of things. But it turned out that the universe gave me a gift in that when it came out, it was perfect timing. Because mm -hmm. I think if it had come out five years earlier, you couldn't have conversations about psychedelics as mm -hmm. something that's good for mental health. You know, it wasn't, people weren't ready for that yet. And now they are. I know. I'm so, I'm so worried. I mean, you're talking about Amazon buying Whole Foods and I'm just like in my mind being like, and now Amazon presents psychedelics. Like, I'm just so, um, I think like there was such a interesting thing about stuff being like hippy dippy and fringe and then getting sort of commercialized. People have been, you know, doing, you know, psychedelics in a sacred way for a long mm. period of time. And I think a lot of academics even agreed that without that, maybe there would be no quote unquote religion. I mean, a, a spiritual <laughs> experience Unfortunately, again, like what you said, it becomes codified. Then all of a sudden, oh, now we have to have priests. Now we have to have churches. And now there's an in-between. Because person. some guy took a mushroom and saw and saw Jesus. Absolutely. <laughs> or maybe or the theory is that you know maybe Jesus was a mushroom, you know, and that these were all followers of a cult. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting stories out there. Look, the burning bush with Moses. I yes. 
he saw yeah. a burning bush, was he high? We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. Well, I just I just want to like point to say that like psychedelics and, you know, psilocybin, the risk involved in these things becoming, you know, used without without thought or without caution, like it is a much higher stakes than like music, you know, becoming commodified, like, you know, psilocybin, like there's ways to do it that is safe. There's ways to do it that's not safe. There's ways that people get really taken advantage of. And I think that that's something that really scares me that like, okay, great. Like, let me give you this drug. You know, you're going to be really high and I'm going to get to decide what happens to your body and your emotional state during that. I think that I think that that's really uncommon and extraordinarily rare. But look, it's not a drug. First of all, it's medicine. But I completely agree that it needs to be you know, controlled in a really slow, predictable way, you know, and that's what's happening right now, that access to it in Oregon and in, in Denver and places like that, or it's through um, a, me- a medical practice, medic- with a doctor, with a therapist. That's how these clinics are popping up. Ketamine's legal. You've got clinics all over the place. But if you want to be really um, conscious about it, the, the downside to that is it, it's offered and it's very expensive. And it, it doesn't make it available for marginalized communities. So somehow it's, there's not an easy answer to that. You know, if it becomes part of the medical practice currently, like check out the cost of going to a ketamine clinic. It can be 10000 it can be $20,000. But I t- wholeheartedly agree. Number one, it's not recreational. Number two, it should be sacred, done with a tremendous amount of respect and in a very careful, conscious way with people that you totally trust. Hard to hard to achieve. I think it, we're approaching a situation where it's it's being presented as a cure-all. And I think that that's a really dangerous road to go down. Um, and I think it's, uh, you well, know. Everybody, everybody has to be literate. And, you know, vitamin C is not a cure-all either. And you can get that on, you know, internet as well. But it's, but like, see, that kind of argument is where I completely disagree with you. Taking a vitamin C supplement isn't going to affect your mental state the way taking psilocybin is. Like to describe it as the same thing is like... I'm just saying there's information out there and you have to be smart. Not everything you read is true. Nobody said that it's a cure-all for everything. And if somebody said it, then you got to you know be really diligent and, and question it. You know, there's a lot of misinformation. I mean, the, the whole reason why people potentially should meditate or even take psilocybin is the amount of lies and untruth that floats in social media. How do we become smarter and more aware to be able to filter out what's true and what's untrue? You know, there's a ton of it out there. Politics are all about that. So people have to become smart about, you know, the data that they receive. And that's the risk to me, the the capitalism of it all of like, you know, talking about like, and it's the dirt and we're all like from the earth and stuff. And then I think everything just kind of gets, that's my fear is like everything gets misused. And then it's suddenly like, this is a cure-all. This is, this costs $20,000. <laughs> this is like. But it's not just that you're financially, I mean, these. No, that it affects th- th- your these brain. These can really affect your brain. They, yeah. they can put you in very vulnerable states. I, yeah. I think there are there's a lot of of bad history attached to this stuff that like we aren't effectively confronting because of the desire to to get a new 
cure for mental health and for be- what it's like to be a human. But we have to also be cautious, yeah. which we've discussed on the show. But And ketamine, too. I mean, a friend of mine does ketamine treatments and she brings a friend to the ketamine clinic just in case like she to not trust like, you know, like like you're saying it's cost prohibitive. And then also like you want to have someone there. I didn't even think of this. I had not thought of the fact that like she was like, no, I bring my male friend with me to just mm-hmm. like sit with me while I do the ketamine because who knows what these people are up to. And I was like, yeah. oh, wow. Well, like the key here is really there are many ways that you can have a spiritual you know, experience. And I think you know, whether it's like riding a big wave or, you know, going to church or you know, meditating, uh, whatever that might be, we all want to be able to have that kind of an immersive experience. And, and psychedelics isn't like obviously the only way. It's just one way. Everybody needs to find their own path. For me, it's like, you know, being in nature. That's what gets me going, you know? So um, that's really, I think, the key. You know, we, we want to have that spiritual connection whether I dive into fungi and flowers and whatever it might be, that's my way of sharing that sacred feeling. But that's without drugs, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, art is one of the best ways actually to get high. So, um, yeah. Before we move on, can you just uh, talk a little bit about what led you to to now wanting to do a, a, a movie about gratitude and, and what gratitude has has taught you and the way you sort of conceptualize it? Sure. Well, I think that, you know, a lot of, you know, when you ask that question and others have asked it as well, it's like, why'd you make a film about gratitude after Fantastic Fungi? Like, what's, what's the connection? And I never was really conscious of it until I looked back. And the connection for me, which is, I think, pretty strong is that, you know, in Fantastic Fungi, we learned about nature's intelligence. We learned how the mycelial network is this beautiful ecosystem under the ground where nutrients and food is shared without greed for life to flourish. So once you have that kind of um, awareness of, of how things work, the question then is, how do you employ that in your relationship, you know, with your friends, your family, your community, the world? Mm. And that's the journey of Gratitude Revealed. Of It's more of a journey into the human soul. And we are nature as well. And so I think integration is the key to when you have an aha moment, when you have some kind of insight, you want to actualize it. You want to do something about it. You can't just have an aha moment after an aha moment after an aha moment. Then you just become a puddle of, of nothing that doesn't move. You want to create something, right? Now you've found maybe your purpose or your life's mission or whatever. You want to do it. Gratitude Reveal, I think, encompasses all the values, I think, that add up to that courage, creativity, compassion, love, focus, connection. And I showcase little you know, vignettes with remarkable but ordinary people that are doing that. So there's nothing in the film that's preachy. There's nothing that tells you how to practice gratitude. We actually do have academic you know, journals and stuff you can have access to, teacher's guide, parent guide, if you go to gratitudereveal.com. But the movie itself is a journey. It's a trip. You know, let, let's just see how what, what people are doing that have overcome adversity in their life but have joy and hope. And and another reason why I made the film is my parents are Holocaust survivors. So growing up under their roof in Brooklyn, boy, did I learn to appreciate what they appreciated, which was all the little things in life. Mm. Food on the table, a roof over your head, a steady job, you know, the miracle of having children. Those were the things that for them equated heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. I like we are nature. (laughs) 
So you spoke about creativity and now I'd, I'd love to, to use your creativity to play a game show called Hypotheticals. Okay. <laughs> um, so Hypotheticals is a game where you and Gabe will be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have and then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And I pick my favorite answer. <laughs> there, there's no good answer. <laughs> it's a loose game. It's a more of a format. <laughs> okay, but it's a question and an answer. Yes, yes. Got it. Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Oh, God. Your partner of 47 years is a loopy from anesthesia after a dental surgery and confesses that before they have surgery... They always go out and try to sleep with a stranger in case they die on the table. The thrill of a stranger makes them go through with the surgery they otherwise would have avoided. They have had seven surgeries since you have been together. Would you stay with this cheater? <laughs> Gabe's mouth is hanging open. <laughs> okay, but you said try. Do they succeed every time? They've had seven surgeries and they've succeeded six times. Oh my God. They're very charming. Is this a true story or a total hy hypothetical? It's a hypothetical. I make them up. It's yeah, Elsa makes them up. Okay. Um, I would, like, my response is, you know, lose your fear of dying, you know? And then Whoa. you don't have to cheat. So you would leave the cheater? You wouldn't stay? Lose your fear of dying. Just That's so much bigger. Dying. That's my goal for my 40s. Yeah, to lose your fear of dying. Yeah. That yeah. is so smart. You're right. I, it's like it's like the root of the problem is that this person is so scared of dying. And now I have compassion for them. Right. Wow. Well, I also feel like weird that they only told me because they were uh, on anesthesia. I wish that they okay. had sat me down and told me lucidly, <laughs> you yeah. know, so that we could have like worked together on like, why do you feel this way? And and I hope, you know, what what can we do to feel OK about death? What uh, what would you do, though? Would you leave? I'd be like, I really wish that you had told me this sober, but I guess I guess I, well, I was going to leave. But now Louis said something so beautiful. I might have to stay. <laughs> Always go to the root of the problem, I think, to figure out the answer. I would wonder why isn't being with me making you feel alive and appreciative That's of life? That's true. That's that true. Feels like a big That's issue true. Maybe. Why aren't I making you feel alive? <laughs> That's true. But I do think, yeah, maybe you're so scared of it. And like, why are you so scared of dying? And like, what happened that made you this way? I think a lot of people are afraid to die. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of increasingly not. Well, you're also depressed. So, <laughs> <laughs> OK, our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, 10, is at sleepaway camp and they send you a letter saying they are unhappy and want to come home. Mm. So you drive the six hours to the camp and tell them to pack up their stuff. You are here to rescue them. They then say that they didn't mean it and were just having a bad day when they wrote the letter. But you are too worried that they are lying to save face in front of their friends who are watching your interaction. So you force them to come home anyway. Are you a terrible parent? Well, your hypotheticals are so complicated. You know? <laughs> I know. Well, like almost four years in, I have to have a lot of details or else I'm repeating myself. <laughs> All right. So what? But the bottom line is the kid wants to come home is, is really the Well, the we, don't know. we don't know. We they don't know. They sent that one letter and now in person they're saying they don't want to. Oh, God. I would say I, I, I would ask him to stay and work it out on his own and not have 
the crutch of being able to call your parent to like save you. Even if it's a bad experience, it's an experience that is probably an important learning experience that is part of life. I wouldn't make them come home because I would. The thing is, is that they make you write. I went to sleepaway camp and they would make you write letters home like all the time. And I have seen some of the letters that I've written to my parents. And they're so funny because I would have written them a letter. And then like the next day they would have been like, you have to write home. It's like a day where you had to write home. So then I would just send a postcard that was like, I wrote to you yesterday. Anyway, bye. So like, I feel like the the emotions that they're getting from the letter are emotions from the past. You know what I mean? They're not getting your current state. So you think you're a terrible parent? Yeah, I don't think you should. Home? I don't think you should have made them come home. I think you should leave them. But I'm speaking as someone who my parents left me at a sleepaway camp when I was eight years old and just were like, see ya. Yeah, I feel very mixed about this. I think I would have to have, I would maybe let them stay, but I would insist on extra check-ins because Aww. I think sometimes bad things happen and if and, and then I wouldn't want to have not prevented that or stepped in to help. I see. So you think that the friends that are watching are actually bullies and they're like, you better not say anything to your dad. You I mean, better right? Not. Oh, God. That's where my head goes. Oh, God. The friends are bullies. I was hoping, I was like, maybe he just wants to stay so bad because he loves his friends. I think there's a lot to be said about about social pressure. Oh, my God. Well, I went... Okay, but I went to camp and there would be some days where I really wanted to go home and then other days where I was like, no, I'm fine. It's it's a harrowing experience to be away from home and living in a cabin with like 12 other girls. Yeah, I don't know how pro-camp I am the more I learn about childhood psychology. <laughs> I mean, I had, a, I had a very good time. I went for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I had yeah. a lot of formative experiences at camp. Yeah, that's great. It's good to get away from your parents. Yeah, I learned I learned rope climbing and stuff. And you're doing that all the time these days. Yeah, I'm kayaking constantly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our final game. Yeah. Is this a date? You have been going to the same dentist for years. And during one appointment, they mention a great documentary that is coming out about the history of dentistry. Okay. You say that you will definitely check it out because you love a good doc. And they ask if you would like to join them at a special screening later in the week for dentists. They have a plus one. Is this a date? Yes. But why would your dentist try to, okay, if you're a dentist and you're trying to build a clientele, why would you risk someone not, like it not going well and then you lose a client? Hmm. Well, maybe it's not a date. Maybe they just want you to, you know, get a free ticket to this movie you're going to love. That's the that's the dilemma here. Are you allowed to socially see your dentist? <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, I think you're obsessed with dentists being creepy people. Yeah, because you talked about anesthesia in the first one. Exactly. And dental surgery. Oh, just because I just recently had to go to the dentist. <laughs> so you wrote a lot of dental stuff. My dentist is an amazing woman. I wouldn't go out to the dentist because, you know, I associate them with pain. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's it, probably a date. If he just wanted to turn someone on to the topic, he would just give them the information and say, check it out. Here's a right. link, mm -hmm. something, you know, here's a link. Yeah. Here's a link. See you later. But, Is your new documentary going to be about dentistry? You think <laughs> Teeth, the, the foundation uh, of, of mouths, right? <laughs> and then it's a time lapse of teeth rotting. Look, I'm a f I'm full of ideas, Louie. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people follow you and watch all of your work? Well, being a bit of a, a rebel, I just I created the Louie channel, 
on 420. So it's louischannel.tv. You can, it's like a, a, you can get it as a streaming platform, like on Roku or Apple TV or on your phone, but it's really cool that you can get it on the, you know, streaming devices. So I'm really proud to be next door to HBO and Netflix, et cetera. I guarantee it's a hundred percent organic. There are, there's no (laughs) fear or pesticides. Every film short on there is about the celebration of life. So there's stuff about fungi, about gratitude, uh, moving art. Uh, Friends of Louie is like other filmmakers who have high quality films that celebrate life, like Howard Hall, the world's best underwater cinematographer, posted a bunch of his movies on it as well. And then there's Louie Land. You probably like that. It's for kids who, and children's hospitals in order to like experience the beauty and wonder of nature. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find it all. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about unidentified flying objects because technically we did aliens as a topic once. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 X. Baby. Baby. <laughs> Every time you say baby, I think about like the baby Grinch that's on your phone. It's a great thing. Yeah. People don't know that the background on your phone is the baby Grinch. Uh-huh. At all times. So I, I'm revisiting uh, my favorite topic because I just listened to an incredible podcast. Tell us everything. Called High Strange that dove into, you know, what do we know? What don't we know? And I really appreciated the way that this podcast framed it because it wasn't like he was going in being like, there's definitely aliens that have already been to earth. Mm -hmm. He was like, what's this all about? And so he was more just like curious. And then over the course of it, you could just see him being like, oh no. (laughs) Wait, what's his name? I think it's Lindsay Payne. Um, oh, Payne Lindsay. Payne Lindsay. He did a podcast that was really wild. That was like this unsolved case, and that's how he got really popular. Is he a uh, Tara Grinstead case? So he did this podcast. Yeah, he came from True Crime. True Crime. Yeah, and um, and he got a lot of like. I think he he took credit for like solving the case more so than people thought he did. Um, but he did get more eyeballs on it. So. Technically, and then that launched him into fame. So I didn't know that this is what he was doing now. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I think what I really liked about it was like it asked a lot of like philosophical questions about like why it's hard for us to accept things. Interesting. I love this turn for him. Right. Like why like it's not just so easy to present the world with like, yeah, there's been aliens that have visited us because like people will just kind of lose their minds or they won't accept it. Mm -hmm. And like, he also thinks the government's been kind of cagey about releasing information because it's not like they have clear information. Right. And so to release to the general public, hey, we have this stuff that we can't explain is really upsetting and like could cause panic. Yes. And so we're kind of seeing that with like the government slowly releasing stuff where like, you know, like we've seen these the videos of like the Tic Tacs flying and all the stuff. But um. One of the stories that I find so fascinating because I just think that like the exploration of like aliens is like a really interesting way into the human psyche. Yeah, yeah. It's like there was this situation decades ago where there were like these loggers driving home and they saw like a UFO. And, I know, I know exactly yeah, what you're talking about. And one about. guy gets out and gets like, in theory, abducted, abducted by the UFO. 
and then or he gets hurt or something and they leave him and then they go back to look for him and he's missing. And so the crew like goes into town and is like, hey, our friend just like got abducted or like went missing. Like we're freaking out. And the police were like, you murdered him. And yes. I think that that's like such an interesting turn of like humans want like the the best explanation within their current reality. Yeah. But and then he did come back, right? Five days later, he like reappeared and he had like, yeah. And he so, was like, I was abducted. Yeah. Okay. But like during those five days, his friends and colleagues were like under suspicion of his murder. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, I think that's a great film. That is, is that a great film where yeah. like the audience doesn't know if the person was abducted? Or I do or not. love that idea. Yeah, I think like I think there's a lot that people it's mostly panic. So like not to bring up Star Trek again, which is one of my favorite things to bring up. But in very old episodes of Star Trek, the way that they would gauge if a planet was ready to know about other planets is they would figure out if it would be like too it would be too jarring for them. If mm, they're not mm-hmm. ready for it. So that's the thing is like the idea that aliens are looking down at us and they're saying they're not ready for it. Right. So that's another thing they touched on. I'm fucking ready. I'm ready. But like. Probe me. They said they were like, well, Melissa. look, like <laughs> if you had a, a, a mountain of ants, you're not going to go try to like communicate with those ants. That's what it is. But then yeah. it's like if the ants are suddenly talking to you, then you're going to go interact with them. That's the thing. So like the, the thought might be that like, right, we're just like not ready. These these beings are like so advanced beyond us. Yeah. But even just like opening the idea that like it could be not aliens, but it could be from other dimensions. Yes. So if in that theory, so does that mean that that man that was abducted, that he was ready? Or maybe they abducted him and went, not yet. Yeah, I think they do tests or they got to come get me. Yeah, I think also I think there's a lot of stuff that we don't understand. I mean, think about, okay, so like creepy stuff or ghosts or something. Our brains are not ready. So like a lot of times when you're seeing something weird, for example, even like if you came across a dead body or something, your mind would first be like, that's a mannequin. Like your brain protects you. Your brain wants you to not be seeing the thing that it's seeing because mm-hmm. it's it's too much. So like if you did see an alien or something or you saw something weird, your brain works overtime to be like, that was a, a possum. You know what I mean? Like your brain will try to find things it already knows Mm -hmm. to like say that's what it was. Right. Yeah. And I I mean, it also like it calls into question how special we are. I think it's also Mm. like interesting of like how do you remain religious within like the Judeo-Christian like entity and also like believe that there's life on other planets. Like it just sort of like brings up a lot of like questioning about what we believe that feels like has made the exploration of aliens so fringe like that was like another big point was like they've it's become so laughed at that even though like from a security point of view we should be investing resources mm-hmm. and we have been investing resources like the spin in public is like only loons believe in this whereas like in reality it should be like oh we should be prepared for this in case they're coming or have come and but like we need to see like the the public zeitgeist kind of shift into thinking of it as more like a reality or mm. a huge possibility instead of just like being silly or like a fanatic. Do you think that if aliens came and it was the earth versus aliens, earth would come together and like there we would all see each other as earthlings? Absolutely. And we would be like, we're earthlings versus these other people? Yeah, would that's tribal. How, well, yeah, that's what would solve like all these fightings within countries and like, you know, it, yeah, just like there's the a tri- new enemy. Right. The tribalism would kicking as like humans in general are the tribe instead of like 
China versus the U.S. or Russia versus or, Ukraine. Or do you think that it would be, oh, leftists are too accepting of these aliens and Republicans want to put them in camps? Like it would be like that. I think it would be unifying. Interesting. I wonder if it would be and then it would be like in the future where like our child wants to date an alien and we're like, we just we have to be accepting even though we don't understand it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it's interesting to see that, like, you know, the article I sent you guys today, like the there's now more active movement within the government to like release documents. Yes. And like they're like pushing to like have things be more widely released to the public. And the government is like, we've already released everything. And it's like, no, you did. <laughs> Do you think that it would help with like our perception of gender, too? I think it would just change everything. Yeah. And people don't like change. I mean, people didn't even want to accept that COVID was real. Right. Sure. So like any threat to our current reality is met with like such resistance. And what is a bigger threat than unidentified flying objects, whether they be from outer space or from another dimension or from magic? What do you think about the other dimension aspect of it all? Multiverse. I'm here for it. Or not. Other dimension is different than multiverse. Multiverse is that we're in other universes. Interdimension is like, okay, so there's another another dimension Mm -hmm. around us. And I'm fine with it. I'm fine with anything that's different. And to go off Allison's analogy with COVID, I was was on board from the beginning. (laughs) I'm on board with multi-dimensions. I'm on board with other dimensions. I'm on board with aliens. I'm on board with ghosts. I'm all welcoming. Just come, coexist with me. (laughs) <laughs> wow, you're a coexist bumper sticker, but it's just aliens <laughs> yeah. and ghosts. And like, see, that's what we should make. That's what we should make for this podcast merch. It's just coexist, but it's like aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, yep. interdimensional beings. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's just that little like coexist bumper sticker. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but I just think it's really interesting the ability to ignore all of the stuff and how quickly it is to discredit people. Of I course. mean, I think it's very different when it's one person telling you what happened, but when you have a group of people that are all explaining the exact same thing, mm-hmm. like how do we ignore that? I don't know. I think they think like, oh, it's just pop culture. But like there was literally like one of the stories was about the head of security at like an army base who had a tape recorder that was recording while they interacted with this object that like looked like no other object. Yeah. Like there's like doc, there's like real documents of like real credible people. But Presidents, presidents have said that they've seen UFOs. Oh, who? I think it's Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter have said that they've seen UFOs. I believe Jimmy Carter. But I also think that there's like, there's a misunderstanding of what the term UFO even means because yes. it's not an implication that it automatically is from outer space it just means that we don't know what it is right um and so i think that like there's like a move to sort of like change terminology and like all those things we have to do to like get people on board with reality it is jimmy carter and gerald ford both said they saw ufos wow and my dad and my dad <laughs> and my dad, me <laughs> my you dad did said when? when no i'm just joking oh, my wish. dad said that in there's a story of him telling on my tiktok from a while ago but it was like 19, he was like 1985, me and your mom, we were driving on the street and a bunch of lights flew in front of us and they made like a formation in the sky. And it was like, you. it was like, I know he described the whole thing and then they were gone. I mean, again, he was an active drug addict. I was going to say, was he on but, anything? <laughs> and he did certainly. Yeah, he did uh, drive intoxicated for sure. But my mom, my mom kind of remembered it and she, she wasn't like that. Wait, he experienced this or he heard that No, he experienced it. 
wow. He told he was he and my mom. I think my mom was like, I don't know if that it was that intense, but he and my mom told me that they saw a UFO. Wow. So cool. Yeah. I saw a funny post that was like, if an alien came down and said, take me to your leader, who would you take them to? Take me to your leader. I guess. I guess. Oprah. No, like who's, <laughs> who's head of the UN? I guess that. I guess I'd take them to the UN. I wouldn't trust them. Yeah, I know. Who would you trust to take them to? You know who I would take them to? Hugo from the city council of Los Angeles. Yeah, you'd take it to, yeah. <laughs> because he's he's in government. Yeah. But I trust him. Katie yeah, but, Porter. Yeah. Katie Porter, maybe. You, but what but could, how would I get to Katie Porter? Yeah, what could we do? You know what I mean? Like who 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 is big enough that we could take? Who's like the most famous? If they posted something, people would believe it. I don't think anyone would believe it now because we're living in deep fakes. So that's a whole nother thing of like, if someone did come down and you had the stuff, they'd be like, well, I don't think that's real. Right. Like who has the most influence? In the world? In the world. I don't think there's one person. Taylor Swift. I would take. No, I wouldn't I, believe it. So that doesn't work. I know, but she has the most influence. I'd take the aliens to Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go to Beyonce before Taylor Swift. That's true. But be, the people, yeah, but people would be like, oh, it's Ill Illuminati, blah. Oh, yeah. I forgot that whole thing with right. her. Bullshit. Well, write in, listeners, and let us know who you yeah, would take who would the you aliens, take the aliens to? to. What do we rate this episode? I rate it 11 out of 12. The soil, the sound is in the soil. <laughs> do you know, do you remember that Blink, that Bright Eyes album? The sound no. is in the soil, so keep your ear to the ground. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I will rate it 47 out of 23. Uh, giving yourself closure. I'll rate it 50 out of 30. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Louis Schwartzberg for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, you can follow this podcast at Just Between Us Pod on TikTok and at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Also, I'm on Instagram now at Gabe S. Dunn. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Raskin. And on TikTok at, at Allison Raskin Baby. And I'm on TikTok as Dabby Gun. So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us. Forever. Yeah.